Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodwich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who's reconsidering his voting history, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Gerald, I'll tell you what. Um, <laughs> we we are. I I personally am governed in the state of Texas. I I know you are still in the great state of Oklahoma, and there's their own sets of doofuses there. But uh, I'm always I'm always not thrilled with what's uh, that. We don't always elect the best and the brightest, but uh, you know it, it is fun to see them talk about things that really matter, like you know uh, who's in what conference in college football. And so uh, you know it, it's it's uh, I am I am just proud to be a Texan and to be governed again by the, the absolute best best and brightest that we have on either side of the aisle. But uh, hey, there there were a couple zingers that came out of the uh, the recent legislative session, but. Uh, you know, it just just inspires folks. If you're on, if you listen under the sound of my voice, just know, uh, Carpenter 2022. No, I don't even know when the next uh, when I could even run is. It's, that shows you how serious that is. But uh, yeah, eh, a bunch of chuckle meisters. It feels like that moment in middle school where your you know your three day to three week significant other decides to move on to greener pastures, and you and your friends sit in the lunchroom and just say all the things you hated about. <laughs> That it feels like just a junior high breakup that is public and worth billions of dollars, right? There was a there was a, a senator that said, you know, Texas, you know, wants to go three and seven against Alabama instead of going three and seven against TCU. Yes, yes, Texas would love yeah. that. And obviously Texas wants to win those games, but there's also eight figures that's gonna go into the university coffers because Texas will go, you know, they might go better than three and seven. Who knows? I can't predict the future. But even if they go three and seven against Alabama. Bama instead of three and seven against TCU. Yes, that is an at, that is an advantage. And and I you know uh, we we went a little hard on Twitter and it's fine. I just like I am. There are much bigger problems to face. Like I don't know the the rapidly failing electrical grid in the state of Texas that they have not said a word about. They've said more words <laughs> on the Senate floor about whether or not the University of Texas should be able to do what's in its best interest from a money making standpoint than they have about. The 151 people that died in February because the electric grid is falling apart due to the various reasons that we won't get into on this podcast. Correct. I don't know if Gerald even need to have that other podcast uh, because we just get angry. But uh, so don't don't even worry about following our politics podcast, which doesn't exist uh, like our usual daily fake uh, podcast we make up every week for whatever talk we're talking about. Um, but Gerald screaming into the void—that's what it feels like. <laughs> that Kyle. that is true. We we actually do record one every week and then just don't release it. We just delete it. But it is therapeutic. Um, <laughs> but Gerald, yeah, I mean, let's talk a little bit about SEC and, and not the Securities Exchange Committee because this is um, this is real and it's crazy how lightning fast this all happened and we are staring down the barrel of it. 
nine days, nine days ago, well, now I guess 10 days ago, uh, the University of Texas and the Oklahoma Sooners were the cornerstones and financial backbone of the Big 12. Then the Aggies tried to scuttle the thing and shot themselves in the foot, which is beautiful. But nine days later, Texas uh, officially, or Texas and OU in that span, officially tell the Big 12 they're not renewing their rights fees. They then uh, officially petition the SEC for an invite. The SEC extends the invite, uh, or I guess the SEC votes to extend the invite unanimously. Suck it, Aggies. You went in line anyways, even though all that <laughs> bluster you had, you couldn't have all hat, no cattle from you Aggies. Feel the heat. And then the University of Texas uh, and the Oklahoma Boards of Regents Regents uh, both accepted the uh, kind of a ceremonial accepting. And <laughs> Texas went about the ceremonial acceptance in the way that you should go about ceremonial acceptances with very little fanfare. The Oklahoma Board of Regents treated it like it was a festivus and aired a bunch of grievances, <laughs> which was great. Uh, but now, again, there it's it's officially on the books. And according to all the lip service, this move won't happen until 2025 after the Big 12 grant of rights expires but it might happen sooner Kyle now that you now that it's over right we've we've gone up and down on the roller coaster we've gone round and round how do you feel what where, where are you sitting now what's your what's your what are your thoughts where are you at oh man there, there there are there are many thoughts it is exciting right it is exciting we've talked multiple times on this podcast in general um, just about the changing landscape of college football and I think it is great for the SEC I think it is great for the University of Oklahoma, I think it is very much great for the University of Texas to be where the power of college football has been concentrated. And I'm not just you know downplay the success of Clemson or uh, Ohio State, but I mean it, the SEC has been the concentration of power. Whether that was you know up until they announced this decision, that was media bias. Now it is obviously well uh, founded from here going forward. Um, I'm kidding, of course we've deleted all of our old takes, but uh, no, I mean truly, obviously the 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 money has been there. The the uh, national competition has been there. The best team in the past 20 years of college football, basically, um, you know, a, a dynasty true and true in in college is there in, in, in Alabama. There are years when the rest of the conference hasn't always you know been up to that level for sure, um, but it seems like every year there is some team that makes a run. I mean, don't forget the beginning of the playoff era. Dak Prescott had Mississippi State up there. You know, it, it, there, there are teams that can go on Cinderella runs at any given year in that, um, in that conference. Um, adding teams like Texas and OU with their you know history just makes it even better, right? So we it's cool. There is no doubt about it. It's cool. It, it changes the the, sca- the scope. I think Texas had gotten into a point where we were pulling out, and hopefully the Sarkeesian era was going to be great either way. But but this just infuses a new lifeblood in, in a different, you know, get us out of the funk, right? It has been a, a 10-year hangover. It has basically been, we've said in this podcast multiple times, the worst decade for Texas football specifically, not Texas sports, in the history of the program. And so, I mean, this can be nothing but a shot in the arm to, to jumpstart it. All the folks who are, you know, cheering that Texas is going to win four games don't really even believe it themselves when they say that just know that if that upsets you and opposing fan bases it is just purely jealousy it's like when you know a a kid gets 
to gets a new car in high school and you know there's going to be some people who are just like yeah you know you probably get a wreck you know it's just get a speeding ticket that 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 you know all those horse powered cylinders they have you know like it just it sounds so petty and childish they are all only saying that because of the utter jealousy which consumes them you know and 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 i think again this is nothing but a a good thing at, at the worst a lateral move at the best a chance to truly get back to again the the heights that that texas fans have come to expect over the past 40 50 years so i am excited i'm just gonna leave it there i am excited i will be curious to watch the timeline shift and play out and then as more news comes out on that to talk about it but i mean the overall general feeling is i am excited i am tempering that with the idea that we are texas joining the sec we are not the sec that is not we don't have to cheer for the teams we don't have to chant the conference you know it please don't we are not the little brother of anything so we don't have to do that uh, but it's gonna be fun yeah it's gonna be fun and and you know i'm not the the deluded fan that's like texas is gonna be one of the top teams uh in the sec in in the next two years i'm like unless you're talking about revenue no like that's not going <laughs> to happen um now texas may surprise some people and be more competitive in the sec than i think a lot of people are expecting them to be but this is a this is a net positive for me in a couple of different ways. One, obviously, uh, the more money Texas can make, the more um, they can spend to try to get better. Uh, they're also, again, you'll see some recruiting dividends if this thing does happen before 2025, probably within the next class or two if that happens. And then I also, um, and this is, again, people are talking about how bad this is for college football, right? And there's a lot of that uh, smoke floating around. And what I will say to you, is that whatever you think about this is going to be bad for college football, the NCAA itself is bad for college football. And so the fact that this is one step closer to the NCAA just really being gone is a win for me. I'm not we, we have gone on record to say that the NCAA is a very ineffective and reactive institution and really does nothing other than um, continue to marginalize and make money off the backs of formerly unpaid student <laughs> student interns. And so like the, the NCAA being in a weaker position and continuing to be just utterly and woefully reactive to first it was name, image, and likeness, and now it's this. Like the NCAA continues to just prove how ineffective it is. And you know, again, I, this is something that the CEO of my, my company says is like we can argue whether or not all day about about capitalism being good or evil, but capitalism is what capitalism is. And so we've got to figure out the best way to do it. And this is the market deciding that the NCAA is outdated and no longer an effective product. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point, Gerald. Is it, we can't stop this thing. It is it is the train is has left the station. It is rolling. Texas positioned themselves. I mean, again, they obviously really were the nitrous that you added to that to that gas tank to get this thing moving a lot click uh, quicker. You know, it obviously that that decision changed a lot of. Uh, what will happen in college football? There's no doubt about it. This is a, a landmark. I mean, you could even maybe call it a hundred-year type decision um, for college football. But um, Gerald, I mean, speaking of timeline, how soon do you realistically think Texas gets out? Realistically, I mean, the the for legal purposes, the University of Texas will not leave the Big Twelve and will continue to fulfill all of its contractual obligations through the 2024 
football season. Now, that being said, I guarantee you Steve Sarkeesian is standing on Chris Del Conte and Jay Hartzell's desk at least once a day saying, how quick can you make this thing happen? Because I've got kids that want to play for Texas if Texas is going to be in the SEC. And so I 2022 feels really aggressive, and I don't know if it can happen that quickly, especially with the promised litigation that this thing is going to have. But 2022 or 2023, probably more likely uh, for Texas and OU to, to end up in the SEC that's easy to sell to recruits. And so I, I would imagine that there is no way that this divorce lasts four years. There's absolutely no way that this divorce drags out for another four seasons. There's no way that this thing can hold together. It's going to blow up at some point. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. You know, the, the gut intuition, I, I'm not making a, a, a breaking news here, but just tells me there's no chance. I really legitimately think that by next year we are in the SEC. I mean, you just look at historical precedent. You look at, um, again, like you said, the fact that there's no stupid, I mean, like, there are no stupid folks in discussion here. We're not sitting here disparaging the athletic directors of various Big 12 programs. They all want what's best for them. And I think there is no person so scarred by this divorce. Again, we're not talking about any teams that are already in the SEC and also in the state of Texas, but current Big 12 teams that are so scarred that they're going to want to hurt or do what's anything other than what's best for them. And honestly, the writing is on the wall that what's best for them is just as quick as possible moving on from this into the future. And so I really, truly think it is incredibly likely that this is the last Big 12 season uh, for the University of Texas. Uh, you know, Texas is owed $150 million by ESPN for Longhorn Network, right? So there has been conversation that that could cover exit fees. The, the quote that came out of the uh, aforementioned Texas legislative session that, that was my favorite uh, was President Hartzell saying, I grew up in Oklahoma, but that doesn't mean I'm paying for their exit fees, um, which is just great. Um, let, let them figure it out. They're, they're big boys too. Um, but yeah, I mean, money should not really be the factor that keeps this from happening. And I think the excitement you see amongst, you know, fans, top to bottom, donor, big money donors, everyone that's associated with the University of Texas, they don't want to sit around and wait either. If money has to be found, I, I really don't think that the, the that anything is going to stand in the way of this, this, this thing happening and happening fast. Yeah, when you're talking about the brands like Texas and Oklahoma, money's not going to be a, a prohibitive factor, as we would say. Uh, so I, I imagine this happens in the next two seasons. A lot of people are saying 2021 is the last year. I just don't... I. There, I feel like Bob Bowlesby is just going to be as legally petty as he can be and slow this thing down as much. And really, it's not just being legally petty, but that dude's unemployed whenever this thing blows up, right? So, like, I, he, it's self-preservation, and I can't knock the hustle because you got you to gotta provide, you got to put food on the table. Um, and Bob Bowlesby has been stealing money for the last, I don't know, however long he's been the Big 12 commissioner. So uh, he probably needs to actually try to do his job for the remaining eight schools. But... There's actual football to talk about, Kyle. I don't know if you're aware of this, but players are reporting to fall camp on Thursday. Two days after you listen to this, the day our preview podcast with uh, Levi over from Wide Right Natty Light drops on the feed. Players will be reporting for fall camp and practices will kick off on Friday. We're a few weeks deep into our positional previews. And so uh, we're on to my favorite group to preview. One of my favorite groups to preview the offensive line. 
And the offensive line is, is gone under a bit of a metamorphosis. So we saw last year, uh, Texas was in a little bit of a pickle trying to uh, find a, a grouping that worked. Derek Kerstetter played out of position at center uh, for most of the year, honestly costing both the right tackle and center position uh, for it because, well, we couldn't develop apparently Rafiti Grimai they couldn't figure out how to get him into the, the center that he has the body for, but that's either here nor there. But toward the end of the season, Sam Cosme decided to opt out after Texas was out of contention for the Big 12 uh, championship, which completely understandable, blame him for. But to start the Kansas State game, Texas um, and Herb Hand experimented a bit along the offensive front. And so I uh, grouped together uh, from left to right Christian Jones, who uh, moved from left, uh, from moved from uh Right to left to backfill Sam Cosme, Junior Angulao, who started all the games at that spot. Actually, freshman Jake Majors jumped into that center spot. Denzel Okafor, who started all games at that right tackle spot. And then Derek Kerstetter moved from center and back to his natural position at right. And they looked really solid until Derek Kerstetter uh, ended up with a catastrophic knee injury and uh, had to be replaced. And so they reshuffled that and uh, Jones went back to right. And Andre Carrick came in and played left and looked good doing that as well, there's been some shakeups in the offseason about uh, it looks like uh, Okafor and Angulao have switched sides. Those guys have bulked. The tackles have sh- lost, dropped some weight. So there's some shit. There's a there's shifting sands, but there's a lot of uh, left to be said. And, and honestly, Kyle. There are there are talks that the offensive line is a big question mark for Texas. And I think there's a lot of talent. They're not maybe a ton of snaps on the two deep, but Texas has a lot of dudes to choose from that I think could be uh, some top end players uh, when push comes to shove. Yeah, I think opinions on this are, are interesting because there's folk there are folks who are quite bullish, right? There are folks who just look at uh, returning, you know, as many as four out of five starters from last year and assume, okay, offensive lines of strength. There are folks who looked at, you know, where we were a couple years ago and just, you know, had a, a trend of kind of starting young offensive linemen because we just didn't have the bodies, you know. We, we started like three career snaps one year, you know, it's been a journey. So offensive line maybe is watered down in national opinion or, or, or conference opinion. So I, I'm very curious. It feels like opinions on this are all over the place. The thing I will say is when we talk about who wins the quarterback battle, when we talk about how far can B. John Robinson go this year uh, as the featured part of the offense, when we talk about what, as we did in our, our last preview, the the uh, you know receiving options look like, and and who you know in the in Sark's offense can be the breakout uh, guy, a lot of how far this offense will go has a lot to do with how well this offensive line plays. Like, I don't think there's any question whether to say it's the biggest question mark on the team. I don't know, but to say that it is, you know, the thing to watch to, to really determine um, if this is a, a, a B, B plus a minus or heck an a plus uh, offensive season. I think the fact that you have Sarkeesian, you have, you know, very arguably one of the top two, let's call it offensive minds in college football. Um, and uh, a guy who knows how to scheme, um, for all kinds of things to make offensive linemen who aren't as, you know, Alabama said, Oh, this guy's not, uh, he's going to be down. He's going to be good. And then has, you know, great years because of the way that Sark is getting balls out of his hands and, 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 you know, changing up the RPOs to, to, to highlight a strength and gets guys drafted. Right. Like I think he's going to maximize what he has. The, the offensive game plan will, will, will be good. Um, again, there are some position battles here. When we talk about the quarterback position battle, I'm almost 
uh, unequivocally more interested in the offensive line position battle, right? And, and the fact that there's multiple guys to talk about here is a good sign. I also, one last caveat before I actually get in, I think Kyle Flood is an elite coach. I know when, when Herb Hand came, we had really incredible expectations for him. So personable, but kind of the results that we saw, had, I feel like Kyle Flood has skins on the wall. He's a guy who... He's done it. There is no questioning his track record whatsoever, right? He truly has done it at the highest level and 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 is coming in and I think will leave his mark very quickly. Um, the guys that I'm most excited about, it feels like Jones, Christian Jones is a guy who um, has, we've been saying has all the raw natural talent for years, right? And, and kind of later to football, but he's got the feet work, or footwork. He played soccer. He's, he's, he's big, but he's light. He can move. He can do everything and do this. He can play multiple positions. We just got to find him in the best one. I think this is the year where all the, you know, he could be. It feels like the energy momentum and conversation is shifting to he will be. And that's very exciting, right? And so if he locks down that left tackle spot, um, you know, we've had a pretty prodigious history recently at that left tackle position, if nothing else. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think he is really an interesting one to watch. We know Majors at center is the lock. That's every single depth chart you could see from the hottest take in the world. But he, he's there. That's him. Injury uh, barring. Um, the, the other interesting piece to me is – Kerstetter will not be playing center. Like, I think that's just a sure thing. He's going to move back to tackle where he is best. But there's some talented tackles now, so there's some split conversation on whether he will instantly get the start. I really just don't think that much experience. The, the type of talent he had his last year playing tackle where he, he really had a, an incredible season, I think, um, maybe overshadowed by an NFL counterpart on the other side, um, gets a little overlooked. And, and where he's on his injury return will all depend on week one who's getting snaps versus you know the end of the season who's getting snapped. Um, but again, it is a good problem to have when you're talking about experienced guys and young guys pushing them for that. And it's not, oh, just we have no one who can play there, right? So those for me are the biggest kind of um, positions to watch. The interior will be interesting. I think Angulau starting all games last year has a pretty good shot to lock that up and and then you know the Okafor did start all games last year but you know it will be interesting to see if anyone is is pushing him at all for the other uh guard spot but um what what names that we haven't gone into most intrigue you there's the longer conversation to have about on the offensive line is it better to have snaps or or or, or talent right and my my gut my and this is again there, Kyle Flood has forgotten more about coaching the offensive line than I know or will ever know, right? But, like, when you're breaking in a new quarterback, I want a guy who's who has seen it and seen a lot, right? And you, you mentioned it. Derek Kerstetter had a really good season two years ago when he was playing his natural position. And a lot of the questions about Kerstetter and his, air quotes, level of talent are because he was playing out of position because Herb Hand and Tom Herman were unable to find a successor uh, to a man who gave them four years to figure it out. And so like he, he's, he's a guy who's talented enough to play multiple spots, at least two of them. And so, you know, I, it's a good problem to have, right? Do we, do we go with Derek Kerstetter? Who's got probably more starts than anybody else on the roster. I can't think of anybody else on the roster that ha would have more starts than Derek Kerstetter under their belt. Uh, or do we go with a guy like Andre Carrick who, you know, Herb, ha or Herb hand 
you can say a lot of bad things about his ability to recruit and land the big the big fish, um, especially when it comes to this last cycle. But uh, two classes ago, being able to reel in a four-year starter at center in Jake Majors and a guy like Andre Carrick, who was really under-recruited. I think he's a guy who could probably start at you know, seven of 10 big, big 12 schools at this point. Um, he's a guy who's super talented. And so I, that's the, that's the battle that I really want to watch is like the, the two tackles where, where mm-hmm. who, who ends up on those bookends? Cause that's going to determine, I think a lot of the success of Sark's offense. Can Texas uh, be able to have the guys in the trenches to run the scheme? Do they have the guys to run a legitimate inside zone run to set up the RPOs and the look, the look, routes that Sark wants his quarterbacks to be able to run. And so that to me is the big thing. And we talk a lot about the hype for Bijan, but like Bijan can't do much if there are guys in the backfield. So the offensive line is going to be pivotal to him meeting the, the success that he had. And, and, you know, we, we all are looking wide eyed at the end of last year, right? The, the, the Kansas state game and the Colorado games, we're all, we're all very enamored with the performances there. And, and it's okay to be enamored because those are really, really impressive performances. But like, before you like really start drinking the Kool-Aid, we got to temper those expectations. Those two defenses were real, real trash. Like really, really absolutely awful defenses. I think Kansas State would, it was 89th in yards per play allowed. Colorado was number 103. There aren't that many uh, NCAA Division One schools. They were giving up on average 6.3 and 6.6 yards per play, which is probably why Bijan had such a high yards per carry. He doubled that in those games, which is impressive. But like those defenses right. sucked. Like there's no two ways to say yeah. that. No, and that's fair. Look, obviously – Bijan playing against them built bump those numbers up so you can look at it both ways but yes you're, you're absolutely right they didn't get to play Kansas um so barring UTEP these were you know two of the three worst defenses that they played all year and I'm, I'm giving you know tech a little bump here they may have been they may have been pretty close but uh but yeah so <laughs> there is a there is, there are grains of salt and as much as Gerald would like to just sit here and Gerald and I would like to sit here and pump sunshine we do uh, try to have a, a fair and balanced approach where we, we try to take the, the Homer's glasses off. We do have burn orange lenses occasionally where we do look at the world through burn orange colored glasses. But um, no, we we try to be a bit objective here. Again, capital day J journalist you're listening to. That's right. Uh, graduates of the, the Moody uh, School uh, with, with journalism degrees. But, uh, you know, we, we, we try to be objective. And I think that is an incredible call out that grains of salt are needed you have to look at the full body of work, not just, oh, well, we changed at the end and we did this and we did really well. So there, ergo, this is a direct correlation. And that's, that is, that is the only piece of, of information without contextual pieces of information, I think is a silly way to do it. Again, there's going to be a slightly different look even this year from, from the types of runs that we're going to see in the, in the flood and Sark uh, run game. So, there may be strengths that are called on that weren't necessarily what were highlighted in the last regime as well, right? So, um, again, appreciate it, celebrate it, but take it all with a grain of salt and wait uh, until you kind of see who steps up in this offense, right? Who's, who's, skills are best in this offense. I love that they said Carrick is the, you know, the nastiest guy. I think Snack said that in his uh, Big 12 um media day presser like I, I love that i think when when we had a guest on talking about him being recruited called him you know a giant dancing bear and i think that's you know that's exactly the type of guy he feels to me like a guy that's like 
gosh, how do we not get him? South Lake Carroll, how do you go to insert school, TCU, Oklahoma State, Baylor, whatever, and kills us uh, for four years. He feels like that guy. So I'm glad, a slightly under-recruited guy who, you know, came to Texas and hopefully just works his tail off and, and you know, gets to the next level. And I think he has that talent. But, I, again, I'm not in the coaching huddle. I'm not in the offensive line, you know, room every day. I don't know. But my gut tells me that, Maybe week one, if Kirsch Sitter is fully healthy, he doesn't make that leap. That's not to say it's the exact same by the end of the season, but I don't know. I think Christian Jones and Kirsch Sitter, as my gut tells me, will be on the outside. But, hey, I've been wrong. It was one time. It was like 2013. I don't remember. So I've been wrong before. This could be number two. This is a situation where we've talked about it before. Under Charlie Strong in early years of Tom Herman, Texas played the young guys because they had to. Mm-hmm. And this is a situation that if – Andre Carrot gets the start over either of these guys on the outside. It's because he beat out a guy with two plus seasons worth of starts under their belts. Yeah, and that's that. That again, that's that's a thing I can deal with. If Andre Carrick is just better than Derek Kerstetter, who three year starter, I think I, that's off the top of my head, at least thirty six starts. Right, a guy or you know Christian Jones on the other side, a guy who started all of the games last year. Um, like if he's better than those guys and he beats them out, so be it. That's how football works. Yeah, and, and don't rule out a guy like Isaiah Hookfin also by the end of the year. If he's you know, he's a I think a redshirt sophomore now or I COVID threw everything off for me on who's what year, but uh, he's been in the program two years and I think, you know, has a a lot of upside talent that people have talked about, you know, with some injury problems in the past. If he didn't have those, he may have been higher in the depth chart, a guy like Tope Amade, who has got, I think on his 13th year like it's the opposite end of the spectrum you know what they value will be will be seen kind of very clearly once we we look at who gets put out there shouts to logan parr rafidi germay the other guys kind of in the depth chart jalen garth um so we'll see who if any of those make it this year or next year we're talking more about some of those guys with a little bit more time under their belt so um yeah i think all in all we got bodies. We have probably, like you said, at the at the at the jump, seven guys that that could and, and probably should, you know, start for most Big Twelve teams any any week. And I think that's a good sign. We're in a good spot. And and even if Lord willing, the creek don't rise, knock on wood, you know, we do get any injuries. We we have, uh, you know, enough depth here to to sustain a couple of those and still be okay. So we'll find out. Fall camp kicks off on Friday. We will know more as the season progresses. So that's the part of the show where we whip around all the other coverage on campus and we down the 40. Let's go ahead and start, Kyle, with the NBA draft. So the Longhorns had not one, not two, but three players selected in the draft. Kai Jones, the first one off the board, number 19 to the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Greg Brown, number 42, uh, ended up in Portland by way of New Orleans. And Jericho Sims at number 58 to the New York Knickerbockers. Matt Coleman went undrafted, but ended up signing a camp deal with the Sacramento Kings. A really good showing uh, for a team that uh, people were kind of disappointed with at the end of the season. And, and maybe this is another indictment on the previous coaching staff that Texas has three guys drafted on, on draft night. Yeah, the three picks ties the most for any you know Texas basketball team ever. They've never had four. Um, and three picks in a single draft. Uh, only two schools this year had three players selected. So I think it, it says something exactly that why expectations were so high. We knew the talent uh, was there. I think 
all of those guys at one point we thought would be drafted a little bit higher. Even Kai Jones, I think there were talks as high as 10 to 13 range. Um, so, you know, he'll have something to prove. I think Charlotte's actually a pretty interesting fit for him. Um, Greg Brown, as a recruit and beginning of the season, we thought, you know, was a potential lottery guy. I think some of the production and some of the things he did well or maybe didn't do well uh, raised some question marks, but a guy who I know will have an enormous chip on his shoulder and have a lot to prove, uh, and I think with hard work can maximize that talent and turn it into a good career. Jericho Sims is really interesting to me because the type of stuff he can do with his body and the way he can jump and like hit his his you know like sternum uh, on on the backboard. Uh, you know he's just he's jumps out of the stinking gym. Uh, being in New York, like that's kind of great because he's gonna have some crazy highlights. Think about um, you know if he was somehow in if he was in Sacramento instead of Matt Coleman, you wouldn't see all of his highlights. They just wouldn't get because New York, you know, glamorizes being a large media market and is so desperate for, uh, for, for the Knicks to be good. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a really interesting fit. He'll do some crazy stuff with his leaping ability and, and hopefully get noticed for it, which is great. Um, also, you know, an interesting, not playoffs necessarily represented, but, but pairing, if he can get in there and start, I don't know if he will immediately, but alongside Julius Randall, it'd be really interesting to see what they do together as, as a, as a kind of uh, front court, but all in all, I mean, getting three guys drafted, I think, is as good as you could expect for whether they went to the team you wanted or as high as you wanted as a Longhorn fan. All in all, an incredible, incredible uh, showing for the Texas basketball team. And, uh, and hey, you know, good good for Shaka, who recruited those guys on campus and obviously did something, at least in the regular season, to get them uh, to this point <laughs> to be drafted. Yeah, again, big ups. I... I uh, I'm gonna follow these guys. I, I'm a big Kai Jones believer, so I'm excited to see what he does in Charlotte. On the football side of things, four-star edge rusher Derek Brown committed to Texas. It was down to Baylor and Texas, and well, the good guys won this one. Six three two ten out of Texas High in Texarkana, number two ninety eight overall. He might see a little bit of a burn orange media conspiracy bump uh, from his again. This the recru- the recruiting rankings for this year are going to be weird. Uh, but he's a guy who's got high upside. And I really like um, the the just the motor this guy has. Like it's an overused metaphor, but he's just a guy who uh, seems to like to go fast. Well, in in a guy who is eligible, I mean, really. Excellent timing for him. A guy who will be eligible for both the uh, the BOMC, the Burn Orange Media Conspiracy Bump, as well as the SEC Bump. He could be a seven star by the time it's all done. No, I kid. Um, he's actually he's very good. I know Gerald has been uh, like really talking him up to me specifically and, and sharing his tape a long time ago. He's been on this one for a while, so I, I credit Gerald again for for putting me on him way back when. But this is an exciting play. A guy who's got who's got speed, who's got some nastiness. He can play. I think Big 12 style of football, but I think just as likely, you know, what is a little bit more uh, SEC style of football with some slightly bigger hitting a little bit harder. But again, SEC style football is basically what Big 12 was with some really wide open offenses. So it's not your grandfather's SEC, but I think he will be willing, or I should say, have the uh, the tools to to be as good against an Alabama or Georgia that that is choosing to run the ball that that vintage um as he will with a you know a lane kiffin old miss offense or you know an, an lsu offense if they choose to get you know back to their their peak where they were really spreading it out so i think um a guy who will be be a good fit either way and will be interesting to watch uh how much he uh and how quickly he contributes quick uh quick edit for the pot the our listeners he's actually number 297 overall moved up 
one spot after Monday's events, but that's neither here nor <laughs> there. It's watch list season real quick. Uh, Bijan named to the Walter Camp Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, Deshaun Jameson uh, was named to the Paul Hornig uh, watch list, which is the most versatile player. And then both uh, Cameron Dicker and Ryan Bushevsky were named to the Ray Guy and Lou Groza lists. Uh, and another quick hitter, Peyton Stearns. Uh, you may know her. Uh, from many different things, but she plays for the Longhorns as well. Uh, she is actually one of the latest people to sign with the uh, Barstool Athlete kind of collective that they're doing for, for name, image, and likeness. Joining uh, diver Brendan McCourt and softball player Lauren Burke on the, the roster. And Peyton Cerns, no offense, those other two might be the best of the bunch. At 19, just like rising up the, the world leaderboard rankings is, is going to uh, win some national championships in her time here. And it's got to be someone you see on the professional circuit, not, you know, very shortly and just making a, making an impact. One of the, one of the, uh, we'll be making her case depending how long she stays for being a Mount Rushmore women's tennis player, a really, really great player. Big contributor to a national championship this <laughs> year. And that's something we wouldn't normally update you on in the down the fort of this more burnt orange lenses. But uh, Sam Ellinger is looking like he is in position to compete for a starting NFL spot uh, because Carson Wentz is having a bone removed from his foot. And so Carson Wentz, the uh, presumed starter for the Indianapolis Colts, will be out for 12-ish weeks. Uh, Sam Ellinger is elevated to number two on the depth chart behind Jacob Eason. If you don't know about Jacob Eason, he kind of sucks. So <laughs> Sam Ellinger could be likely in position to uh, get some snaps uh, in the NFL before that Kellen Mond guy who got drafted before him. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting guy. I think he started Georgia, ended up at Washington. Was not like uh, world beating at 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 either necessarily. wasn't terrible. Um, but uh, but yeah, he NFL teams are weird, man. He's isn't he six six? I feel like I feel like NFL like there's still some weird height thing for quarterbacks. I mean, I remember Brock Osweiler got paid. It was the Houston Texans, admittedly, but um, like forty million dollars to be the worst quarterback in the history of the NFL. So I mean, being tall really, really just does weird stuff. But yes, Sam Ellinger sniffing distance. Yeah, so excited for the feel good redemption, or not even redemption, but just feel good arc after the the obvious, you know, incredible offseason it was for the Ellinger family with 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 highs and 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 obviously lows um just what a what a cool punctuation if if this season is the season because no one really thought it could come this quickly for Sam so really I mean it's exciting for Longhorn Nation we will all be tuning in to uh to see what's going on with the Colts very excited so uh it is olympic season and we're going to do a big olympic update here in a couple weeks but a couple of of big things we want to update you on Kevin Durant Former Longhorn, you may have heard of him. Uh, past Carmelo Anthony, become the uh, Olympic men's basketball team all-time leading scorer in uh, a win for the men's team. Kevin Durant, just for the record, I love Carmelo, actually, but Kevin Durant did it in one fewer Olympics. This is third Olympics. Carmelo had uh, competed in four. So, um, and, and my favorite part was there was, I think he was – let's call it 20 points away from the record. Uh, and they had a blowout game where they won by, by 50 some odd points. And he only had 10 points in that game. So this did not feel like stat padding Kevin Durant going out to get his, which hopefully bodes well for the team coming together in the future. 
Uh, some other notable news, Erica Sullivan uh, won the silver in the first ever 1500 women's freestyle, had uh, some great things to say after that. Ariel Atkins uh, is moving on to the uh, what quarterfinal matchup uh, with the women's basketball team against uh, Australia, who doesn't have the 6'9", Phenom Liz Cambage, or however you say her last name. Um, USA Volleyball with uh, Chaco Ogbogu uh, beat Italy to advance to the quarterfinals against the Dominican Republic. Kat Osterman brought home a silver medal in her final game of her pro softball career, falling to rival Japan in the gold medal game. Uh, a couple of volunteer coaches made some news. Kenny Harrison uh, won the silver medal on the 100-meter hurdles, and Valerie Allman, the volunteer track uh, field coach, won gold in the discus. And then this is some this is bittersweet for us, Kyle. Um, Julia Grasso, friend of the show, big fans of hers, playing for the Canadian national team. Uh, they actually beat the U.S. women's team uh, in the semifinal game to advance to the gold medal game, sending the U.S. women to the bronze medal game which bittersweet we're glad to see julia grasso have a chance at a gold medal but obviously don't want to see the u.s fall in any way shape or form tough because you know you watched uh, the the u.s men's basketball team the dream team and just being on top of the world and being so much better than everyone else for so long and that gap kind of close and shrink like you've seen something else title nine obviously in america let u.s women's soccer get off to such a uh, roaring head start that there are those and I am I am a huge 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 let me say it U.S. Women's National Team proponent but there are some of those in the camp that say this is actually a good wake-up call for the sense that U.S. can't rely just purely on being so far ahead of the rest of the world you know physically because again the Title IX program in the United States where there was nothing else like it in the rest of the world and U.S. just out-athleted everyone that this will cause some tactical innovation in the women's game in the United States and actually ultimately be a good thing uh, but yes it is sad it's an end of an era where they were just truly so on top of the world um, and uh, you know if someone had to do it why not Julia Grasso who we love so um, congrats to her in Canada but I think we will hear good things to come out of the ashes Phoenix rising for this U.S. women's national team and so now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics Big Bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz so Kyle what are you banging the drum on this week? There is a former Longhorn who's gotten some airtime on this podcast uh, when, when when he committed, or a Longhorn commit, I should say, when he committed, when he decommitted, uh, and basically we followed his journey uh, ever since. No, I'm not talking about Horace Brew McCoy. I am talking about Quinn Ewers. Maybe you have heard of him. Um, he was the uh, the number one prospect in the the 2022 class. Uh, Made a decision to skip his senior year of high school and enroll early at Ohio State. So probably he'll drop to about the 313th player in the class if they treat all players who, who make decisions similar to that the same. I kid. I kid. We know how good he is. We saw him uh, just dominating through his high school career. Uh, many saw him in the, in, a, in a landmark uh, Texas State title game this past year. Um Kid's good. We know that. But the decision he made is interesting. I think we are literally at a, at a point where we're going to look back on this and either say he was at the vanguard. He kind of is one of those guys who changed the game. Think about the first NBA player who went straight – or excuse me, high school player who went straight to the NBA for a while. They said, okay, that will change everything. Obviously, we've we've come to a new kind of reality. But this will this will be a, a, a decision point, a talking point, that the, the highest profile player to – do this and either he's going to be a genius or you know it'll be a cautionary tale and we'll, we'll kind of have to see 
how this plays out. But I think if his talent is what we all think it is, that this is the right decision for the kid. Some crazy numbers are being thrown around with name and image likeness coming to the fore and being a, a, a thing. And so he had some injuries this year. Do you risk that? I mean, there have been players, think of Jadavion Clowney, there have been players uh, that have started about the past decade of thinking about themselves in financial terms and not glorifying either the high school or college game, you know, but going to the ultimate most money-making. Now that you can make money in college, you might start to see this. And then I don't think he's necessarily wrong for it. The other aspect of it is there are a lot of talented arms on the Ohio State roster who are young, some redshirt freshmen, some incoming freshmen, um, some guys who just, you know, barely growing facial hair who will all be competing and all have a lot of stars on their names from high school for one spot. If Quinn Ewers is the, the arm, the, 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 the quarterback talent, the kind of visionary that um, we do pretty much all think, um, then I, there's nothing that says that he can't go out and win it his first year, or at least put himself at that number two spot and take it next year. Right. I think um, I don't, if I'm in Quinn's inner circle. I don't see the downside to doing this. I've seen a couple of his his high school teammates, you know, put on social media that how excited they were for him to watch his journey and and excited for him. It doesn't seem like there's a ton of resentment. There are some old dudes who, you know, um, look a lot like Al Bundy and talk about the glory days like Al Bundy, who who have a lot of thoughts about what this young man is doing. Um, and I don't really get it. You know, if you're not the elite level of athlete that he is, that that you have a chance to make the amount of money that he does. You don't necessarily get or understand what you're talking about to weigh in on this. So, um, again, the kid's best decision he could have made in life was to stick with UT, come to UT, play at UT, be a legend, You know, win national championships, go to the NFL, be a legend. Um, he chose not to do that. So he has a tougher path because he's not coming to UT again. Crazy decision. But if he does it at Ohio State, there is a chance that this is a storybook tale. Um, but we'll have to watch it play out, and I am very curious to see it. So there, there are like a couple things at play in this that I have like thoughts on one um while the texas state legislature is mad that the university of texas is making a good financial decision the best player in the state and the best high school player since vince young is leaving the state because the state of texas high school players cannot capitalize on their name image and likeness because of laws so actually do your dang job and don't just do these performative lame duck sessions to, to yell things about your alma mater because you're mad that you're going to end up in the AAC, right? Don't do that, right? The best <laughs> player in the state, the best player in the country who happens to be from your state is moving out of state because he can't make money in your state. And you know what? We talked about capitalism early. That's not good. If jobs are leaving the state, guys, let's do something about it. The other conversation that we have to have about this is it's not just about this year's money that he can make. He's gonna He, he says he can make seven figures, right? But Ohio State's going into an open quarterback quarterback battle. And Ohio State has enough skill at the other positions for whoever comes out of this quarterback battle to be cemented as a college football playoff quarterback. And to do that as a true freshman at 18 years old is a big deal and makes him infinitely more marketable. And whoever wins this quarterback battle is likely locked into that quarterback spot for two to three years, right? The red shirt freshman, probably two years. The true freshman, three years. So why would he come to campus the semester after that when he's put himself in a position to graduate early anyways 
So why don't just why don't you just take the opportunity to do it now? And he's actually not the first guy to do this. Uh, North Carolina had a uh, a quarterback mm-hmm. last year that mm-hmm. reclassified and ended up playing and being the best defensive back on their team. And so again, we can't ever say what we would do in this position because we've literally never been in this position. And so like don't do that right if i was in that spot you're not so don't like it's not a thing you have any credibility on i'm banging the drum this week on mental health and there was a, a long conversation on on the twitter bots on sunday after a former texas player won with i think a national championship ring was tweeting some idiocy about mental health and about how if you've got depression blah 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 one um, stop quote tweeting bad opinions to dunk on them because you're still amplifying the bad opinions. Like, don't do that. Like, that's I chose not to quote tweet it because I don't want to lend them my platform, regardless of whether or not their platform is bigger than mine. I've still got you know a thousand ish people, almost two thousand on the podcast account, following us that don't need to see that junk. But what I'm going to say is that is the worst opinion ever, and it's okay not to be okay. This is not like sports. This is just me talking, right? Like mental health, there's this weird stigma about mental health, but especially in the, in among dudes, right? And and uh, I know there are ladies that listen to our podcast, but our podcast skews heavily dude based upon our last demographic survey. Um, and that's okay. But like man up, the man up mentality is killing people. Like men are committing suicide every day and, and it's a thing, right? Like it's okay not to be okay to, and reach out to people if you need help. Like you're not weak for needing help. Your friends would rather listen to your problems and say your eulogy. So if you are struggling, please, 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 we care about you. Get some help. Uh, and worse, like if you've got nothing else, my DMs are open. Like it's fine. Like I, I, I care about you. I personally, I've never met you, but I care about you. I got to mean that with all sincerity. So if don't listen to Tim Crowder's terrible opinions on mental health and really stop listening to famous people or athletes or celebrities on any type of health decision, (laughs) including mental health, Uh, doctors and experts, people go to school for this. So their Google searches while they're on the toilet probably don't match up to somebody's eight years of schooling. Yes, that is a great PSA on both accounts. Don't famous people aren't necessarily credentialed for any reason that they're talking about so don't put so much stock in it more than those who are in fact supremely credentialed that's just a general life maxim and yes to echo gerald it, it is it is beyond time it's 2021 guys we are we are we're flying into this this millennium uh excuse me millennium but uh <laughs> just it's done it's outdated it, there is no stigma to mental health there should not be and especially for men it does not in any way make you weak and in fact i would argue it it makes you so exponentially and significantly stronger to be able to say you know what i'm not doing great on this you know what i need help you know what i need to talk to somebody you know what i'm not where i want to be or need to be that is so infinitely more impressive and more strong and more in tune with yourself and reality and the world than the the stoic bite the upper lip tough it out and 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 just destroy and cripple and crumble your 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 mental health and your your true interior self and and i echo uh the sentiment that, that gerald and i are both here uh we love all of our listeners we love longhorn nation we love anyone who, who listens to this podcast and um thank you for listening first of all and uh and second of all if you ever really truly needed i i you know 
Gerald is is legitimately one of the best human beings in the world. If you ever need to talk about something to do, talk to him, and he means it. He's that genuine of a guy. Um, and so please don't don't hear facetiousness in his offer. And uh, hit us up, hit hit them DMs up if if you have nothing else and 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 need an ear or just a place to vent. So end on a serious note, but I think a worthwhile one. We really do care about you. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook em. S-E-C-S-E-C. Tex-E-C. Tex-E-C.